You're listening to Townsville's Chambercast, a podcast supporting the businesses of Townsville. We look forward to sharing business leaders and inspiring local business owners that make up our wonderful Townsville business community. This week, Michael sits down with the Managing Director of CyberSense and Australian Impact Group, Miranda Mears. Miranda has over 30 years of experience in cybersecurity. Miranda will run through protection of information and assets regarding cybersecurity in your business and how you, as a business owner or operator, can do to protect against cyber attacks. Welcome, Michael and Miranda. Thank you very much, Chantel, for that introduction. And our special guest this afternoon, in fact, is Miranda Mears, Managing Director of CyberSense and the Australian Impact Group. Welcome, Miranda. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Um, And look, thank you very much for agreeing to talk about this critical issue of cybersecurity, which is already having a profound effect on business owners and operators of businesses, small, medium and large, across the Townsville region. And with over 30 years of experience in the cybersecurity space, I'm sure our listeners will be zeroed in on this podcast to try and extract as much information from you as possible to help them in their business and personal life, as well as especially um, as they often sort of blur into the, into the one sometimes. Uh, but look, before we launch into what our Townsville business owners operators can do to maximise the protection of their business, can we just take a moment to reflect on what's happened over the last 10, 20 or 30 years, considering cyber attacks have been largely infrequent, quite benign, and the disruption caused has been relatively minimal and easily rectified? Or have I been living in a bit of a dream, Miranda? You have been living in a bit of a dream, Michael. Um, and the reason why that is the perception is that uh, until really COVID-19, um, a lot of businesses weren't transacting online as much as what they are. Uh, so in my 30 years of cybersecurity ex- experience, uh, the attacks have not been benign and they have not been um, largely infrequent. Uh, while we've heard of things like script keys that were generally around play, just playing around the surfaces and seeing what they could do, uh, there have always have been and always will be uh, very motivated, targeted uh, threat actors that are, are there because cybercrime makes them a lot of money. Mm. And so this notion of cyber security, what exactly are we talking about? Is it a, a security strategy? Is it a firewall? Is it, you know, you hear things like penetration testing. Um, what, what are exactly we talking about? Mm. So all of those things are true uh, and they're all not even half of, of the picture. So when we talk about cyber security, what we're talking about is uh, the protection of our information and our assets from unauthorised disruption, destruction and, um, and, and breaches, essentially. Uh, so where we have probably had a bit of a false sense of security in the past is it used to be called IT security. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would automatically go, it's something to do with our computers, um, therefore it's the responsibility of my IT manager and I as an owner can sit back and put my, my, my hands back and go, I don't know about IT, uh, so therefore I've I've assumed that responsibility to be that of my IT manager. Um, As our systems and our technology has evolved, though, uh, more and more of our business core operations are done online and they're done in such a way that it's it's readily accessible. So I'll take, for example... Um, zero software that most you know small businesses are using that or either Maya or something along that nature to do their 
their, their security, their, their finances, and that's done online and in the cloud. It's not attached to somebody's PC locked up in their office anymore. We've got a lot more of our distributed systems and information online in the cloud and readily accessible and potentially connected in with our partners and suppliers as well. Uh, so the, the notion of cybersecurity is really around protecting protecting that as a holistic risk management framework. And if you think about IT uh, cybersecurity in the same way you do your workplace health and safety, that's where we need to be and that's where some of the challenges have been in the past around why we're not doing this as well as what we probably could be considering that the basic fundamentals haven't changed in 30 years. Mm. And and when we look at a cyber attack, um, do you think the purpose of a cyber attack has now changed? I mean, has it gone from money to something else? Is it creating anarchy? Um, what 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 do you see as the main um, purpose of our cyber attacker? Well, it, it is quite multi-purpose. So cybercrime is three times larger than the global drug trade in terms of its monetary value. And it's third largest GDP or something like that behind the US and China. So if you can think about that as a, a rationale around, well, why are they doing that? It's because it's highly valuable. Um, but then we are also seeing a significant increase in state-based attacks against countries and against infrastructure, critical infrastructure, um, which is supporting uh, sovereign uh, capability, sustainability and resilience. Uh, and definitely, I think, from a North Queensland region, it's something that we have to be cognizant about. The, um, the fact that as a, as a gateway to the Pacific and the protection of Northern Australia, um, cyber security is a, you know, North, Northern Australia is not some little town sitting in the middle of nowhere that knows that a cyber criminal isn't, isn't interested in. Um, it, it is a, bit, a massive concern. So from the, that motivation, we've got the sovereign attacks, we've got the monetary, and then we do have the anarchy around um, you know, disruption, just disruption yeah. um, mm. and, and you know, confusion of markets and things like that. Mm. But then you've also got um, an increasing... Um, opportunity around industrial espionage and um, and internal fraud as well. Mm. Yes, I got my first letter the other day that said you uh, being contacted because data that has been in our system for quite a long time, and in fact I don't think I've dealt with this particular supplier possibly even indirectly for 10 to 15 years, uh, has indicated that um, personal and confidential information has been accessed um, without authorization. Mm. And um, I should take appropriate steps to change my personal data uh, mm. without actually telling me exactly what it was. That and I'm not going to change my address. Um, yeah, so it is. It's starting to, um, you know, those attacks on businesses are starting to increase, and I think businesses are now starting to feel a bit more comfortable about a timely disclosure of that breach, rather than in the early days. Sometimes those disclosures would take up to six months to to become public. Unfortunately, we're still we're still way behind the eight ball when it comes to um, d- disclosures, and then it's only if some loose sort of arrangements around uh, do you need to comply with the notifiable data breaches scheme? Has it hit a certain amount of records disclosed? Has it and has it caused significant harm? Now, interestingly, it's up to the organisation to determine if those two things have happened. So we're still seeing some very, very significant breaches. And I'm, I'm talking um, over a million million records that still haven't been disclosed and they've happened in the, over six months to eight months. Um, so mm-hmm. we're still way behind the, the eight ball in terms of, of that. But to your point, 
and I think it's a question that we're all starting to ask a little bit more about, is why do you have that mm. anyway? Uh, and, and fundamentally, uh, this is where I start with any of my cybersecurity assessments. Um, it's not about what tech... T- don't tell me about your technical controls. I'm not even remotely interested. Tell me what it is that you have. What are you holding? Why are Why you, are you it? holding mm. it? We have this, as a society, this really bizarre... Uh, affiliation with data and yep. storing stuff that we don't have to. And, uh, and even my mum, I think, you know, 20 years ago was still holding on to records that she, from 20 years before that she didn't need to hold. Mm. Uh, you, you can't protect what you don't know you have and you can't lose something that you don't have. So I think the fundamental um, consideration around a cybersecurity strategy mm. is actually understanding risk management essentially in the same way you do your workplace health and safety as I said um, what is it that we have mm-hmm. how are we using those systems what are our what does our core organizational value chain look like and where are the potential threats threat opportunities within that value chain and then what do we how can we minimize mitigate and, and remove mm, those risks? That risks yeah uh, and I think those questions are really valuable uh, certainly ones to be asking and look when you think about the cyber attacker, um, do you think the approach to the cyber attacking has changed? Um, you know, originally um, it was emails, it was the phishing emails, and then, and in fact, they're still coming, uh, becoming more sophisticated. Then you started getting phone calls of people trying to extract information out of you uh, or out of your systems, um, you know, security access and the like. So, do you think um, that is changing, or is it evolving? Is it just becoming more cleverer with artificial intelligence and things like that? A little bit of everything. Mm. So definitely in terms of the overall intent and approach of cyber attacks haven't changed significantly in the sense that you're always going to be trying... uh, An attacker has got three fundamental things that they're trying to do. They're trying to breach what we call the CIA triad of cybersecurity. It's the confidentiality, integrity or availability. And depending on what their purpose of that attack is, um, they'll be doing things for for slightly different reasons. Um, So we're we're looking at malware, we're looking at um, unauthorised access and and escalation of privileges, so actually bypassing the security parameters are there by accessing your login and your password that you've got stored mm. somewhere or put on a post-it note on your computer or or held in an Excel spreadsheet with every single password that you own. Uh, don't give me those looks. <laughs> That's terrifying. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so there's, there's those kinds mm. of attacks, but they definitely are evolving uh, with AI. Um, you know, we have started to see some very, very sophisticated um, social engineering attacks using AI. Um, a, a case in uh, the UK uh, where um, the CEO actually got a call from their head office and um, sounded with the complete alliteration mm. of the, the, the gentleman's voice um, to be legitimate. It wasn't until his third request to send over more than €100,000 to that person mm. that they started to cotton on that that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, yeah. and it was And it was considered to be that sophisticated an AI representation of his voice that the insurance paid out on it. Um, and I think that that's possibly something that we absolutely cannot be relying on in the future. Um, there's definitely underwriters are starting to look at the whole what they will, what they won't cover in terms of cyber cyber insurance. Mm. Yeah, and I think this um, evolution process is, is quite scary, um, you know, because we've had increased focus on the protection of hardware devices, data, and I guess privacy more, more broadly. Uh, and, and I guess the other... 
scary part, and I think you raised this at a recent AICD um, presentation in Townsville on cybersecurity threats issues, was the fact that there's actually a very, very small percentage of success in these cyber attacks, but it's generating a huge amount of, of money for them. They only have to be very uh, small success rate, and it's generating billions of dollars. Yeah, and, and, and that's why um, it's becoming more of a problem because we do present. Presence, yeah. um, and, you know, when we were when you talked about they were less frequent and they were mm. less benign 30 years ago, mm. it wasn't true. It was just that the, the actors were actually looking at your banks, your financial institutions, mm. um, your payment card gateways, your big players, you know, your online betting because it was very, very attractive to do so. Their security processes are very robust um, now, so it's less easy to hack into a bank than it is to hack into um, old mate mm. down the, the road with them and with an invoice redirection fraud and get them to think that they've paid their suppliers $50,000 when they've actually sent it offshore to a, to a hacker. Mm. And as you were just referring to earlier, um, artificial intelligence is now just another whole new ball game of um, recreating people's voices, artificial intelligence um understanding the types of conversations and questions and responses that you might expect. Uh, it's almost now getting to the point where you just, you know, you wonder what you can trust um, over the phone, over an email, etc. Mm, yeah, and, and that's why it's really important to think about cybersecurity as a sense of it's not just about technical solutions. So yes, the AI is causing us problems, but it's also res- helping us to identify much quicker uh threat actors and vulnerabilities and 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 remediate those so it works both ways however we need to have that as a holistic approach that also includes not just your technical controls but your procedural controls and your uh, and your administrative controls and your compliance and governance controls so let's take for example and this is just one example that ai solution where someone picked up a call and they paid they went oh yeah we need to pay that and they sent that money off. That that bypasses any pe- mm. any con- technical control that you can possibly implement. Mm. However, if they had an administrative procedure that said any mm. request for money needs to come from an approved supplier list that's only maintained in this way, and if any bank account changes account details change, it has to follow this procedural step. Mm. And then get these checks and balances in place before we actually execute on that action, it mitigates the threat considerably. And mm. I think that the, the one thing that all of these attacks that are attacking humans, like your phishing attacks or your, your invoice redirection attacks and things like that, um, they're acting on your sense of urgency, mm. like you, that you're going to do something now. You mm. need to do something now. A little um, bit out of, yeah. Help me. I, I, I'm the boss. I, I need, mm. need you to quickly go and get me five gift cards of $1,000 mm. because I need to do this. Sure. Yeah. Yep. And we need to actually demystify cybersecurity and have some sense about it in the sense that we, we allow our people to challenge, regardless of authority, if they don't feel something is it's right. good. Yeah. Um, yep. If that if we've got that that funny feeling, or if we're not sure, we need to empower our people in the same way we do with workplace health and safety, where we do our take fives, mm. to stop, pause, think about it before mm. you take action. Yeah, and like it's, I think it's an important. I mean, from my audit background, we were always told that you had to have a, a strong, robust system of internal controls. Uh, those controls, two things could happen to controls. One is they may not be there. 
in which case that's what we used to call a weakness, um, or sadly where the control was in place and a staff member didn't follow it, that's a breakdown. Uh, both, of course, end up in bad circumstances, but at least with the breakdown, you say, well, the control was there, it was good, but you just didn't follow it. So I guess that highlights the importance of um, staff training as well to make sure that they're constantly made aware of what is a cyber attack and what it might look like and, and you know, the defences that you've put in place sure. through these controls. And, and absolutely staff training is certainly part of it. Um, I like to think of it more from a sense of uh, actually inclusion in design mm. so actually involve your staff in understanding what are the Why? potential actions mm. that could happen here or in this part of our business so we don't mm. want to go okay we've done our obligatory let's click up let's check which which of these is a phishing attack and which isn't mm. um to to the point of okay our invoice policy, what is our payments policy, our accounts receivable policy, what does that look like? What are the potential things that could happen here? Mm. And even from the sense that, you know, so far today we've talked predominantly about the fact that actors are these bad guys sitting there wanting to break into our systems, mm. when it could be the fact that actually it's an internal person that has bypassed or taken advantage of no controls, which is more likely, mm. uh, for some either maladministration or nefarious activity. Um, there's a case in the non-disclosure not notifiable data breaches scheme at the moment of a, a health organisation where their employee was uh, what's done as a, a whale fishing attack or a spear fishing attack that specifically targeted a person in the organisation wow. mm. because of the act action access or privileges that they have and mm. they were offered a substantial amount of money to provide that information mm. to a competitor of that organization mm. um, and that's just one instance uh, unfortunately we know that you know like when it comes to internal fraud as sad as it is it's generally the ones that we trust the most that have the most privileges mm. finance IT management mm. supervisors um, so we need to have those procedures in place, not just to stop the bad actors from happening, but also that we've got in place um, controls, but administrative, procedural and, and technical that cover a number of different things. Authentication, are we actually giving people access in terms of what they actually need? Mm. Principle of least privilege, don't just hand out the same access to everything, to uh, yes. minimise it, mm. and in a way that you can segregate the duties in a way that would prevent a person from perpetrating and um, concealing a problem. And and lastly, uh, non-repudiation. Can it actually be proven that a person has or hasn't done the thing? Mm. You know, if, you, um, if you're a busy manager and, and you've given your bank account details to mm. someone, um, you've just bypassed bypass not just your um, your ability to prove that you didn't do a thing uh, but you've also breached your terms and conditions of actually using losing mm. that that system which could impl implicate your your, your insurance policies mm. and, and your compliance obligations yeah I, I do recall an instance in an organization once where you know four cashiers had access to a cashiers um, um, sort of area uh, they all had the same access. And so when it came down to the cash going missing, well, they knew one of four people took it, but they just couldn't actually, I mean, they knew who the person was, but they couldn't pin it on them mm. because it wasn't able to identify that it was that person at that time mm. um, who who actually did the perpetration of the um, event. Um, 
So you've talked just then about internal and the fact that internal, I think that was one of the things that was quite alarming uh, from your presentation at the AICD cybersecurity event, was you said, I think it was something like 46% of, of most um, you know cyber attack events are generated from within an organisation. That's yeah. quite startling. Yeah, and it, and it does vary from, from um, country to country. Uh, cyber security is the fourth highest global risk for direct, facing directors globally. Um, but that particular statistic is is pretty much swings between around the thirty five to the to the forty eight, mm. um, and yeah, it it, it is a, a challenge. But I think there's also be mindful about that fact that some of it is nefarious, some of it is accidental, some of it is bloody negligence. Is, yeah. is well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. we look at Optus, right? Mm. Like huge, huge, huge attack. Whilst they would like to come out and say and regularly do that it was a sophisticated attack, mm. um, Senator Claire Neal has said, no, it wasn't. It was mm. essentially the, the same as leaving the, the front door, front door open, open. Yeah. Um, because basically what they did was they made it easier for themselves to um, go in from the internet into their internal systems and, and get access to do the things that they did. Now, that could be it's not identified at the moment, but that's something that's something that people do on accident. It's also something that you would do if you're a malicious employee leaving the organisation. Mm. Now, you spoke before about the importance of involving staff in staff training and understanding why something is there and the consequences of a breach. And we know that as a result of a, a cybersecurity attack or breach, um, the consequences could be anything from lost money to loss of um, or disclosure or publishing of private and confidential information and some of those things could have disastrous um, impacts on the reputation of an organisation in fact could well see it go under of course the head of those organisations are called directors and um, directors can't just blame staff they have their own statutory responsibilities and duties to ensure a duty of care if you like to the to the organisation as well as staff Um, what do you believe, um, you know, how will directors have to rethink and, and um, change the ways they go about making those inquiries and putting in place systems to sort of effectively discharge those fiduciary responsibilities? Mm. So I'm actually so, so happy to see the, the shifting tide that we have, are seeing currently in Australia uh, and globally in terms of, of, of that. Um, as I said before previously, it was considered to be the IT security manager's mm. responsibility. But definitely from the perspective of director duties, and even if you are a sole trader, it, you're still essentially fundamentally responsible anyway. Um, and in my opinion, would should be thinking about the same sort of level of of fiduciary responsibilities. Uh, So I think, you know, the responsibility to inform is paramount. Um, Mm. It's not enough to say, I didn't know. You need to be able to ask the questions and and, and coming back to that that point about it just isn't a tick box that we've done our regular 12 monthly, we've gone through our phishing attack simulation. Yeah. Ask the questions. Do you have like what does your risk register look like? What does your risk management framework look like? Do you have tolerance thresholds set up for what you consider to be a high, extreme, moderate risk associated with a you know loss of disruption? And mm. like I said, like if you don't, you can't protect what you don't know you have and how important it is to you. So understanding mm. the systems that you use in your business and what are your tolerance thresholds for all of those sorts of uh, availabilities and the confidentiality of those systems and making sure that in your board packs you have robust information that provides you information that you can understand. And I say information that you can understand mm. because I've seen a lot of penetration tests go up to a board that are a demonstration of complex. exploits mm. rather than 
this is our business risk of mm. this and this is what we need to do about it and this is and these are our metrics around how we're monitoring and ma- measuring that because as you said uh, you can have all the policies in the in the world but if people aren't complying with them and um, implementing them um, mm. they're essentially useless <laughs> yeah so Miranda someone is attacked um, they believe they've been breached or even some for some reason they've got the skills to know they've been breached um, and and have either lost or someone's written an email saying I've got your data. What what's the sort of best course of action for them to take? So the best course of action would be to have done something twelve months before. Of course, um, <laughs> reflect. <laughs> no, I, and I'm I am a little bit serious on that front. Your inci- you need to have an incident response plan that's tied in with your business continuity plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to know who's responsible for making the media announcements. You need to make have response. What's going to be the immediate response if someone notifies what an inc- when an incident has occurred? How does how do you actually know that an incident has occurred uh, in their camp? case that you just mentioned there in terms of someone's got our data and they've locked us out a ransomware attack uh, that could have happened 18 months before and in fact a ransomware attack you most likely would have been in the system for over 18 months before Mm. um, before that's happened so do you have your backups do you have a recovery plan for those backups and then at that same time, once you've got that information, you know exactly who you're going to call. Um, and it would depend on the type of uh, incident that you get. Um, if you haven't got that in in place, um, your IT provider uh, would be a great place to start. Um, your insurance, if you don't have cyber insurance, you should have cyber insurance because they will mm. generally have in there their preferred uh, cyber security incident response team first responders Mm. um, and they would generally enact in on that Mm. and again of course depending on what type of attack it is what type of system it has uh, implicated or the uh, and how it is impacting the organization that response will look very very different Mm. and for a lot of local small businesses who probably think well this is not going to impact me no one would bother to you know break breach my um, particular database or confidential records it's probably a bit naive to be taking that approach and, and certainly also then if you do find out you're being held to ransom to pay a ransom. I mean, both of those things seem uh, crazy options. Yes, but it's not so crazy if you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Um, and at least now we're, we're having the conversation nationally that people, are, I think, are starting to become aware. Uh, there's a lot of organisations that can help you. Um, it, as, as you mentioned, some of it can seem a little bit complicated for, for small businesses. Uh, so there's a number of different organisations depending on the size that you can get to help. The Australian Cyber Security Centre has a great number of resources for for small businesses that include, you know, the things that you should be looking at, um, the things that you should be considering as an organisation. They've got some great toolkits in terms of practice exercises that you can test. Um, so they're definitely taking it seriously in terms of provi- being able to provide that, that information. Uh, but you as a organi- small organisation need to start thinking about cybersecurity from the same perspective as you do your finances and your financial control. You have specialists on hand that you know that you trust, your trusted advisors that you can go to when you're having a problem. And that's where we need to get to when it comes to cybersecurity. Fourth highest global risk. Mm. You know, we need to start having conversations about having more people with cybersecurity experience on boards 
that can ask the questions or mm. at least having mm. advisors that can be there for you. Mm. And we need to be starting to put it into our baseline budgets. Mm. And making appropriate allocations. like Appropriate allocations, of, yep, yeah. Like work health and safety mm. and all of that. Yeah. yeah. I heard, yeah. I heard a, um, a statistic that in, in one report just recently that a benchmark would be around 3 to 4% of your of your your overall Over revenue operating revenue wow um, which is huge i don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that you need that every organization needs to go down that path when there are resources mm. you can do things quite efficiently and effectively and a lot of organizations are running with um, cloud services providers that are already doing a lot of things with their security um, but you need to be also cognizant about the fact that most of those also are or care no responsibility when it comes to recovering your data. Mm. And look, I know the US um, uh, Biden-Harris administration has you know, released a national cybersecurity strategy uh, with five pillars and talking about uh, banks should be being more responsible for reimbursing scams, um, you know, arguing it will drive greater investment in uh, stopping fraud. Um, in Australia, there's been a call also to adopt, I think it's the UK-style system of confirmation of payee, and I had that the other night when I was transferring some money on my mobile phone uh, to another account. It prompted me back with a question that, well, question or a comment that said, we've actually matched the name and the number you gave us to transfer, and there is a match. Do you still want to go ahead with that payment? I presume if there wasn't a match, it would be telling me there wasn't a match. And, you know, so I think that to me was a very good sign that the banking industry were taking that seriously in Australia. It was um, in one of the big four banks. Um, yeah. So do you think that's appropriate that banks are taking on that responsibility and should be more accountable, I suppose? Well, yes, I think a confirmation of payee is one of the very um, minimal things that we can do. Um, having done or been an advisor for cybersecurity for banks for a really long time. I know how much they do actually invest in um, cybersecurity and our big big, big banks are very, um, very diligent in that. I think you would also be um, quite blown away with the amount of fraud that has been absorbed by the banks regularly. Mm. Um, but we also have to know that we're also the bank's customers and if they're spending that money they're there to make a business and they're going to make it up in some other way i think that you know the days of going i I, hands off i made an internet transaction and it it didn't went to the wrong it went to the wrong place or we have to also take personal accountability and if there's no personal accountability people are going to keep sharing passwords um they're Mm. going to uh keep putting their credit cards into stupid sites and they're going to um, not take personal responsibility for protecting their own information. Yeah. Well, Miranda Mears, I think we could talk on forever on this topic and I dare say we will be having you back for another session, um, particularly as cybersecurity controls and threats um, evolve. Over the um, over the months and years, so thank you very much for your time today. You're really welcome. Appreciate and it. if anyone does want to have a chat, uh, www.cybersense.au. Perfect. Thank you. I'm sure people will be jumping onto that site right now. <laughs> uh, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Miranda. That was a lot of information, but great information about cybersecurity, how cybersecurity has evolved in the last thirty years. Thank you so much. Keep listening. Do subscribe to our podcast. The Townsville Chamber would like to thank their corporate partners, Star 106.3, James Cook University and PVW Partners. 
make sure to hit the subscribe button and listen to all of our chamber casts.